Welcome to the Unleashing AI podcast, hosted by Pavel Fakanov. Join us as we speak with industry experts and explore the wonders of innovative, custom-built AI and how it can help grow your business, whilst also delving into the latest developments in the fields of machine learning and artificial intelligence. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Unleashing AI podcast. I'm your host, Pavel Fakanov, and joining me today is Ambush Kumar, the co-founder and former CEO of Fortanix. Before he founded Fortanix, Ambush actually was a chief architect for cryptography research. And before that, he also was hardware design lead in NVIDIA from 2002 to 2010. Ambush also has masters in electrical engineering from Stanford University and is also an advisory board member for the Acceler Network. Ambush, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Pavel. Really excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. Super excited about having you today and thanks a lot for joining. And yeah, so I know I have given your introduction, but can you please also tell our listeners who are not that familiar with you a little bit about yourself, about your background, about your company? Yeah, so I'm a serial entrepreneur. Most recently, I founded Fortanix, a leader in data security company. But I have interest in uh, lots of things. So I built some early hardware at NVIDIA, did some cryptography work, and now interested in AI and cybersecurity and things like that. I was born and grew up in India, but have been in the US for the last 20 years. Okay, that's amazing. And can you please tell us a little bit more about your company? So for people who are not familiar with Fortanix, can you briefly describe what are you guys doing? What problem are you solving? Yeah, so Fortanix is a data-first, multi-cloud security company. And if you look at a typical enterprise or company today, they have their data spread all over the place. Fortanix offers a solution that secures all that data regardless of where it is. So their tagline is security wherever your data is. And zooming out a little bit, cybersecurity is a vast field. There are lots and lots of companies, but also from individuals' perspective, right? Our photos, our documents, our bank information, our healthcare information, all that is at stake. We keep seeing breaches every day. So cybersecurity is something that is far from being solved. And it's really one of the pressing needs of our time. So, you know, that's what excited me. Definitely makes a lot of sense. And can you also tell us a little bit more how you actually founded Fortanix? Because I personally, I'm super excited hearing like different stories about entrepreneurs, how the company actually started, because it's completely different, you know, like five years after you actually started it and in the very beginning, because I also founded a startup myself. I know how it is. So would be interested to learn more about that. Yeah, so I'm uh, driven by first principle approach. So in 2016, I had an idea that if we could keep data secure, then that's all that's needed. The reason people needed firewalls, the reason people needed perimeter controls, the reason people needed application controls, all that was because they wanted to keep their data secure. So what if we could just offer that? And I call that data-first approach to security. Now, it turns out that doing that when you don't control the perimeter and network is hard. If bad people are inside your network, then they can look at your data. So I had to create lots of new technology for that. So uh, I invented something called confidential computing, 
that is now mainstream technology, but it keeps your data secure even when your systems are compromised. So it's a really deep tech approach, but I had that vision that we could do it. And then I just uh, went and uh, founded the company, raised some money, called uh, 50 customers. One of them returned the phone call. They became our first customer, one thing to another. And uh, it's a pretty successful company today. It's amazing. It sounds super familiar. Like it's, <laughs> it looked pretty much the same for me when I started my company. Yeah, you just like, you call people, you try to sell it to someone, just again, who finds the most value in that. So yeah, makes a lot of sense. But can you please tell us a little bit more about different AI applications in the cybersecurity space? How do you see different companies actually apply AI in the space? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you look at cybersecurity, it is collecting lots of events, lots of information, and then analyzing it, right? So you see a machine in your network making a call to some server that is in faraway country. Now that is an interesting piece of information. What companies have done in past that they started to log all events of interest. So anytime somebody logs into your application, it will create a you know a entry. Every time you rotated your key, it creates an entry. Every time you made a DNS call, it created an entry. And so all these applications, right, and all the servers, all the endpoints, and you have like thousands and tens of thousands of them. You started to collect all these logs, all this information, and dumped it in a central system. You know, security folks, the folks called SIEM, S-I-E-M. And then idea was that, hey, look for something abnormal, look for some, some problems there. So believe it or not, cybersecurity has been using AI for a long time, you know, more than 10 years. It's just that earlier approaches were uh, very hard, very different from today's model, where now we have LLMs and chat GPT, things like that. So earlier it was linear regression, then it's RNN and ANN. That is one aspect. So old thing, but uh, you know it's been useful a little bit. And now we are going to see some more problems because of AI and new problems for cybersecurity leaders. So for example, I'm sure you have seen chat GPT writing really nice emails, right? So if you are a hacker, you can just use chat GPT to write a pretty convincing email that is personalized for a recipient, and you can send those emails to all the people. And people might be fooled, right? So earlier, you had to do manual work. Now you can just automate it. So what it does for defenders, right, for good people, now they have to up their ante and use AI to at least detect that, hey, this is a bad email. So if somebody is automating things with AI and you have to respond manually, that's not going to work. Definitely. That's a really good example. I also, to be honest, was thinking about a lot of people, a lot of software engineers using Copilot. But again, it was trained on a huge amount of data, open source data, open source code. And again, if you're just blindly using Copilot and using all the code it generated, it's not going to be secure. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So Copilot is really interesting technology, massively helpful. Anybody who uses it for like 10 minutes, you know, they just get hooked onto it. <laughs> and the reason for that is that it has complete visibility of all your projects, all your files. You write first letter, it can, you know, complete the whole paragraph and etc. 
And that works well because the whole modern LLMs, they are trained to you know, generate your next token. So that part is fine. But what I find even more interesting is that now you can use Copilot to write test cases for your code. So you write a little bit of code and you can create test cases right then and there and see whether it's working or not, right? So if you simply use Copilot as a blind way of, you know, like writing fast, then of course it's not going to go secure, to be secure. But if you use it in a way where it is like your low-cost assistant and every single time you are writing some tricky code, you use it to automate the testing, then you can write more secure code. Yes, it's really helpful in that regard. Definitely. And yeah, for our listeners, we're actually recording a podcast a day after GPT-4 was released. And I don't know if you actually had a chance to check yesterday the developer's demo, but I was watching it even though it was like 12 a.m. my time. And it was literally amazing what GPT-4 can do right now. Again, basically, you can just provide it with a traceback and it's going to fix a code based on the traceback. Or you can just ask again, simple question, why is it not working? And it's going to fix it straight away. Again, it was not possible even with GPT 3.5. So I personally was extremely amazed by that technology yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So we have done what we call a static code analysis for a long time in security. And what it is, Pavel, is you feed it your code to a tool and then it spits out that, hey, maybe, you know, you should have used I++ instead of this or here is a malloc problem, or maybe you are accessing a code that doesn't belong to you and things like that. And it is very noisy, right? So anybody who has used any of these code analysis tools, they know that it's very noisy to the point that developers hate it. And they do it because they have to do it for compliance reasons. And it does not add much to the security value. Now, the game is completely changed when you are using you know, GPT-4 or even like you know, GPT earlier, uh, GPT-3.5, where it can find real vulnerability in your code. It can detect and debug issues in your code. So rather than being something that you have to do it for compliance, you do it because you know it does kind of dirty work for you, right? You wrote a code, you had a typo, your code doesn't work, and you detected that right then and there because your copilot wrote a test case for this, and now it can also debug it. So that is so powerful, so useful. Yeah, that's definitely amazing. Do you guys use it a lot in your organization? Because in my organization, like almost everyone actually uses it. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing, you know, like increase the use of Copilot. And as I said, anybody who uses it for a few minutes, you know, they become a champion. Definitely. Also, another question I wanted to ask you, can you explain for our listeners a little bit better what kind of company actually would benefit from your technology the most? And also probably it would be helpful to understand what kind of company also would not benefit that much from the technology. Yeah, good question. So if you look at, you know, open challenge in cybersecurity, right? I think it's a very complex dynamic. So you have a typical Fortune 2000 company. You have maybe 5,000 employees. You have to manage identity of each of those employees, their login password, their second factor authentication, things like that. So we call that identity management. Then you have some operation in cloud, maybe use two clouds, one cloud, and you might have data centers. So you need to get your applications there, run it correctly, fix vulnerabilities on those applications. So let's say that, I mean, every single time you might see a pop-up on your laptop that says that, you know, we are downloading this fix, reboot your computer, things like that. 
Now we need to do the same thing on the server side because servers also run, you know, Windows or Linux code, and you know, like there are lots of libraries, and some of them might be buggy, so people fix it. How do you patch it? How do you run it so that you know it does not affect your application that is running and it gets patched? So there is that complexity. Then you have network controls, right? You want to make sure that only people from right place, right team can access your network, not somebody else. So all in all, cybersecurity today is a very daunting task. You know, regulators force you to do some things. Your organization needs you to do certain things. And security teams are struggling because there's a new attack every day being invented. It's never a static. I mean, things like GPT-4, we are excited about positive aspects of it. But it also, I mean, criminals also get access to it and they will also try to do bad things. So every single time a new technology is invented, it's more work for security teams. Now, to make the situation worse, there are not enough people who can, you know, work in security. So believe it or not, even in today's economy, there are more than 4 million jobs in security that are up for grabs and we don't have enough people to go around. So one of the great things we can do and very powerful, valuable things we can do is if we can use AI to automate some of these things so that one person can do 10 people's job and increase productivity and that way keep data secure. Long way of answering your question that anybody who is feeling inundated by all the security challenges, right? Because there are only 24 hours in a day, you know, can benefit from AI. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. And probably one more question I also would like to ask. So can you give us an idea about, let's say, the key drivers that actually pushing the confidential computing space forward? What like some key components that are developing the space? So promise behind confidential computing is that you can decouple security from infrastructure. So I can have my application run on, say, like your laptop. You have full control over your laptop. You have your root password. You can put any malware, any virus you want. You won't be able to get my data. So how exciting is that? And that was, you know, what caused me to create this category and company. But now if you look at what happens when you use public cloud, right, it's exactly the same thing. You are a bank. For last, you know, 200 years, you have operated on your data centers, on your premises. And now we are moving some application to cloud, somebody else's computer, somebody else's network, somebody else's firewall. And you don't have physical control over those things. And so how do you get security there? Or, you know, let's say you want just for AI, you want to share your data with another organization. So when you share your data, you want the other organization to process your data, you know, create some insight, but not misuse your data. So anytime you don't have physical control of your data, right? You know, confidential computing is important and critical there. Or let's say you have some really highly sensitive data, something where that's your crown jewel, right? You don't want that to ever get compromised. There might be insiders in your organization who knowingly or unknowingly are compromised. They might want to take your data, right? Or you have something where highly sophisticated attackers from you know, foreign countries, enemy countries are after it, right? So how do you secure that? So anytime there is a need to get like extreme level of security, confidential computing is coming very, very handy. Definitely. I really like your example about sharing data between different organizations because that's 
pretty much the space we are working at. Again, we are helping different organizations with AI applications, with implementation of custom AI applications. As you may guess, 80% of cases, it's not possible without the data from their side. And again, for some organizations, it can be a huge problem. How do you do it in a safe way? How do you make sure the data is not compromised? How do you make sure the third party actually not using your data in a bad way? So yeah, it's definitely an example I can refer to, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like, same thing is true at the consumer side. So for example, if somebody came to me and said that, hey, you know, we want all your healthcare records and we will use this record to, you know, maybe do some cancer research, I will happily want to donate my data, right? Because it's for good cause. But if I think that my data will be compromised, then I'm hesitant, right? And yeah. everybody is making the same choice. So if we feel that next advancement in medicine or, you know, drug research or whatever thing is, it's being gated by data availability, that is, you know, healthcare data, personal data, then the right way and the only way, in fact, you can unlock that is by providing increased level of security so that people are confident that even when they are sharing their most sensitive private information, that data will only be used for cancer research. You can never figure out my name. You can never figure out my race. You cannot figure out, you know, what diseases I have or don't have, what medicine I take or don't take. But, you know, your AI that is using all that data to find pattern, et cetera, it can use. And that's how, you know, like you gather data and you make research possible. That's an amazing example, to be honest. Yeah, and I also can refer to that. Quick question. In your case, do I understand it right that you help both B2C and B2B companies to keep their data secure? Yeah, so I mean, confidential computing can do both, right? So confidential computing can keep enterprises data secure, right? When they are using cloud, they are sharing data, they have sensitive data that they want to process. But it is also possible to protect the consumer's data. And today we have a consortium called Confidential Computing Consortium. And many world's leading organizations are members of that. So NVIDIA, Microsoft, AMD, Intel, Google, all are members. So as you can see, it's uh, lots of exciting use cases all around. Definitely. Yeah, look, it's so much valuable information, to be honest. For our listeners, is it possible to create like a checklist or, let's say, most common mistakes that companies actually make when working with data? What kind of multi-cloud security most organizations actually get wrong? Again, it should be like pretty small checklist or just list of common mistakes. I will say that not knowing what kind of data they have. So, for example, you have a database where you have your financial information, your credit card, your customer's information. And you left that data on AWS 3 unencrypted access to network. And the reason you did that was, you know, there was some employee who was maintaining that database. He thought that he would upload it and he will encrypt it. And then, you know, he had some interruption and he forgot, things like that. So it's not intentional. It's not hard to fix it. But keeping a close tab on where your sensitive data is, who is processing it, Use it uh, with care, right? And make sure that, you know, it's encrypted, make sure that it's not accessible to public internet, things like that. So build an inventory of your sensitive data. Make sure that if it is sensitive, it's encrypted. If it's encrypted, then, you know, figure out who can access keys to unlock it. Those are some very, very simple things. And that will go a long way in making sure that your bases are covered. Okay, makes a lot of sense. Do I understand it correctly that 
basically that's what you guys are doing. So you can help companies with like solving all of the issues you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Probably a follow-up question for that. I guess enterprises and startups actually may face different problems. So do the problems you mentioned actually refer to bigger companies or it is also applicable to startups? You know, that's a great question. I think everybody needs security. Everybody values privacy. Even individuals, we don't want certain digital dignity. We want control of our sensitive stuff. So everybody has this problem. The way we respond to these things are different. So for larger companies, infrastructure is very complex. So they might have hundreds of databases. They might have thousands of employees. They have you know tens of thousands of servers running their applications. So complexity is big. And as a result, they have a slice team, right? So if you want to manage your identity, there is one team. If you want to talk about data security, there is another team. If you want to talk about firewalls, there is another team. So there is a specialized talent. And those people, they focus on one problem. But how do you integrate network security with data security, with identity, with application security? That becomes the challenge. For a small companies, they also have to be SOC compliant. They have to be PCI compliant. I mean, so there are regulations and need for security for smaller companies too. But the smaller companies, they're lucky if they have like one full-time person doing all the security. Yeah. So they need somebody or something that does lots of things for them. So they don't have that kind of resource. They don't have that kind of talent available to go deep in lots of things. So they need something that works across their whole organization, can do like 80% of lots of things. So that is the fundamental difference between large companies and small companies. Definitely. That's... By the way, that's also what I see in most of the companies we work with. Again, companies just focus on actually building the product, but because they're small, they don't actually care about data security probably as much as they should be. And again, as you mentioned, usually it's they're lucky in case they have at least one person who is responsible for data security. But I guess like 95 or even like 99% of companies in the very beginning stage, they don't care about security at all. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it is like layers and layers of stuff. So if your core is not solid and you put like lots of layer around it, and now you need to, you know, like remove all those layers to fix the core. So when you are building an application, building a team, building a company, maybe take a minute or two to think about how you are going to do your security, because that will pay off big time as you scale. Definitely. Yeah. Look, it's super insightful. I really enjoyed the conversation and probably I would love to ask a few closing questions. Imagine if you had a chance, invite anyone from the AI space for a lunch. Who would it be? I think it will be Elon Musk because he founded OpenAI. He understands technology. He is now working on Neuralink, you know, trying to place AI with humans. And he has seen self-driving cars, so he has access to you know vast or the largest amount of real life data, and he's an entertaining person. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Would you be interested in having a lunch with Sam Altman as well? Yeah, definitely, because he will provide the other side of story. He is you know like as different in appearance, at least from Musk as possible. And again, he's a great doer, you know, very successful entrepreneur, and we owe a lot to him. Definitely. Also, last question. I do like to ask about basically all the AI leaders and to find it personally super interesting. 
what kind of AI have you incorporated in your life and using super actively? Because again, it's probably as an AI leader, you also should be like at the forefront of incorporating AI in your personal life, using it in different applications, in different spheres. Yeah, I use Gmail, right? So okay. Gmail does offer you autocomplete and you know paragraphs, etc. And I do use that all the time. And again, it's created by Google. For me, I have a model of Palm running and I use it to do some cool things. So on one end, it's a package solution from Google, you know, auto-completing my emails. On the other end, you know, I've been tinkering with something and uh, I use that. But in between, there is all uh, mid-journey and DALI and image generation. So one of the exciting things or interesting things is that I spend some time with my kids and we play with, you know, some of these image generation tools. We give some prompts, see what comes, try to predict, you know, what was a prompt for this thing and, you know, kind of get a competition going. So I love that. That's amazing. Quick question. Do I get it right that you're hosting your own model? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's amazing. That's <laughs> literally an AI leader. Yeah, look, I have enjoyed the conversation a lot. It was amazing. I specifically was super interested in the part where you mentioned what kind of mistakes small and bigger companies actually make in their approach, in their journey for data security. For me, it was super insightful. And I also have learned a lot. And probably we're also going to apply some of the learnings in my own company. So yeah, do appreciate you coming on the podcast. And yeah, thanks a lot. It was super exciting. Thank you. The Unleashing AI podcast is brought to you by Unleashing AI. To find out more about Unleashing AI and how innovative, custom-built AI can help your business, visit unleashing.ai. Also, make sure to search for Unleashing AI in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Unleashing AI, thank you for listening.